Stephen, I'm going to let you introduce this one. Oh, thanks, buddy. Hey, it's because I love you. Uh, I just, I'm really excited about this because we just decided what this topic was about <laughs> 10 seconds ago. We have been in this room for 30 minutes talking <laughs> about anything other than what we're going to talk about. So here we are. It's uh, We're recording this on a Wednesday morning. And uh, welcome to the podcast. Excuse me, the podcast. Oh, I love it when you say that. I know you do. You, you <laughs> tell me that you love it every, every time. Every single time. Every single time. <laughs> uh, so I'm Stephen Lenahan. This is Mike Gomer the Gormley. <laughs> Gomer uh, the Gormley. Gomer the Gormley. Hey, can I tell you an uh, interesting note about my name? You ready for this? Prepare You're your heart. You're going to tell me whether I want to hear it or not. Whether so you want it or not. My last name, Gormley, <laughs> which is Irish, right, uh-huh. actually comes to us from Denmark and the Vikings and so stuff. So it's not Irish. Go on. Fair enough. You know, like Bluetooth, the wireless technology, it's actually named after an ancient Viking king, something the Bluetooth. His dad was known as Gorm the Elder, and the name Gorm, he founded the dynasty. It's the longest dynasty in the history of the world. So that's why you're such a tech nerd. Yes, it's, that's why I'm a tech nerd, a Viking. I was going to say, uh, that's also why you have a Viking beard. Yeah. <laughs> well done. I just need the, the horned hat. I'll be good to go. Give me my helm. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like Thor movies so much. <gasps> it's like watching your grandfather. <laughs> Papa. Papa. <laughs> Mjolnir. All right, this is getting weird. Yeah, this All is right. getting so weird. So, uh, so today's topic, we are going to talk about uh, something that we we joke and we laugh about a lot here oh, yeah. at St. Anthony's in our parish office staff. We're also sometimes offensive, probably, to some of our coworkers um, when we talk yep. about this. But we're going to talk <laughs> about uh, generations, in, in specifically in the church. So. Yep. Um, you've got, you know, the, the typical kind of classifications in the secular world of you've got the baby boomers, you got the Gen Xers, and then you got the millennials and whoever these creatures are that are coming behind them. We'll call them, them iGen. That's the most popular name right now. iGen for who? iGen for the current high school, middle school, maybe even college people. Oh, but, I didn't know that. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't yeah, heard yeah. that one yet. I don't, I, look, I don't even want to get into iGen today, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I'm, I'm struggling to figure out, like... Within millennials, there's different like mm-hmm. like I guess I belong to the Oregon Trail yes, generation. Yes, the Oregon Trail generation, which is the funniest article you I've ever read in my life. Yeah, this sociologist or someone wrote about millennials how you can divide them up, and she belongs to the older group of millennials. Yes, I'm, I'm 36. I'm, I would be in that with you. Yeah, I'm like on the tail end of that older group of millennials. Yeah, and they call them the the Oregon Trail generation because we played we grew up playing. Mm-hmm. The original Oregon Trail on Mac PCs yep. in the uh, in yep. our computer labs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and then the other reason I think for that is because we don't want to be associated with younger millennials. <laughs> like, I love you twenty somethings, but not that much. Not that much. <laughs> not really. Not really. Uh, so, on. so, but so you have all these different classifications. You got the baby boomers. You got the Gen Xers. You got mm. the millennials. Yeah. Um, and there's a reality of why we kind of classify people that way in society based on their age because their life experience, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, younger millennials they grew up. They don't know a world without like. Uh, without, uh, you know, texting and the internet, all that sort of stuff. Older millennials. I kind of remember, I didn't really get my first cell phone until I was about a junior in high school. Um, and it wasn't like that great. It was like, it was a flip phone, you know, and it, and it was like the, it was a Nokia flip phone. And then like, 
I remember, I'll never forget the day walking down the hallway. I flipped it open, and right as I was walking by a doorway, it broke the top part off. And I was like, oh, <laughs> mom's going to kill me. But I ended up getting a razor after that. Whoa, Do you remember the you razor were one phone? of the few that I know, yeah. Razor. It worked out because I had to pay for it myself. So, oh, there you go. Um, you know, so I, I don't Motorola race. Right. That's right. But I do remember as a kid, like not having any of those options and like running around and playing outside. So there's like that healthy balance in the older millennials. I think that's so funny. When I was younger, my parents got a, what we affectionately call a Zach Morris cell phone. Those yeah, my are dad those had one of those huge brick cell phones, the battery that was the size of your arm, and you screwed in the antenna on mm-hmm. the top. It wasn't the briefcase. It was after the briefcase one, but yeah, we would use that. Uh, you know, you had like 15 minutes a month or something funny like that. And uh, and then it went to my mom got a phone that anytime I was home, she would just give it to me when I was home from college yeah. so that I could have it with me in the car and she could call me. Hey, where are you? Your father and I are going to bed. Want to know about when you're going to come home? Stuff like that, right? So the question is, where were you, Gomer? I was I was where I always was at TGIF Fridays, the only place in the Woodlands <laughs> when I was in college that was open past eight PM. Uh, you're gonna say I was at my father's house in the Adoration <laughs> Chapel. <laughs> in my father's house, there are many rooms. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so interesting thing in my yeah. family. So I'm the youngest of four, and we're all five years apart. Mm. So my sister's 15 years older than me. Okay. And then, so like to give you kind of an idea, the way I like to classify it is how the year we graduated high school. So my sister graduated high school in 1990, and then my two brothers graduated in 95 and 2000, and then I graduated in 2005. So there's like a pretty big disparity of like life experience. Wait, wait, wait. You graduated two. high school in 2005? Yes, Gomer. Oh, that is embarrassing. <laughs> for who? Oh, for me. I'm so old. Yeah. Well, sorry about you. Oh, I'm so old. So, uh, so. Why are we talking about this? Why are we bringing up like this generally generationalism, if you will? Yeah, um, is because I think that you know, t- going back to my family experience, like we used to talk. My sister joked, she you know she went to Catholic school and stuff like that. She, I'm sure she went to CYO and things like that, Catholic Youth Organization or whatever it's called. Um, but our experience of church was very very different, right? Um, in fact, she even used to joke, like, especially as I got older and I got really into my faith in high school and college, she used to say like, you are like, you went to like a different Catholic church, like, you know, capital church with a capital C. I feel like I had such good formation from my youth minister, from the people, um, you know, at my church in Georgia that I grew up at, you know, daily mass was like a part of our community. Like I, I remember going to daily mass and it wasn't just like the grandmas. It was like, everybody was going to daily mass, you know, um, young people, old people, uh, teenagers, um, re- just really solid formation. And so like, and not to say that my sister doesn't know her faith, but she just knows it very differently. She has that kind of like that Catholic school experience of like the, um, that, that's so stereotypical, I guess. God is just another subject. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and so it's been interesting, though, now, like years later as we're older, we all have our families like kind of coming back to it and seeing my older siblings actually coming back more into the faith and wanting to own it more yeah. and wanting to explore it and wanting to get that formation how that old, maybe they missed out on. How old are your parents? Well, my father... So my mom... Oh, man, am I allowed to say this on a podcast? Is she going to be upset? She won't be upset. She won't be upset. I already called her. Oh, okay, good. She listens. She listens from oh. Nashville. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, hello. How, how are you? Yeah. 
I just lied about us having a phone conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Call me. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, uh, so my mom, uh, she won't care. Uh, she ballpark. Well, ballpark it. Like, are they in the 70s? Is she in her 70s? Not quite. Good. There you go. So my parents. So let's break down Thank generations. You for saving me. There you that. go. Yeah. You have my dad. My dad would be in his seventies if he were alive. Okay. The greatest generation is those born uh, that fought in World War II. So right. many of them came of age during the Great Depression and fought in World War II in Korea. Yeah, that was my grandparents. Yeah. My parents were the baby boomers, the big boom that happened right after World War II when the soldiers came home. The, uh, so you have from 1945 to roughly 1960, 65, you have the baby boomers. Then yeah. you have Gen X from 65, well, roughly it's 65 to 80, and then 80 to 2000 is millennials, uh, people born in that time. And now 2001 and afterwards, you have iGen, and, and you know they're still kind of deciding that. Now that's one kind of... Obviously, there's so much overlap and different cultures and communities kind of resist cultural trends more or less, you know, depending on. So you might have been raised and been like, I have no clue about these millennials. I'm a tough working Gen Xer, you know, all this stuff. It is funny, though, that when they do these understandings, when they create these understandings of different generations, it's, it's largely based around what world events have had the most impact. Yeah. And uh, there's one guy who does a generational millennial institute thing where he helps businesses train millennials to actually work on a work. We are a special breed. We are a special breed. Uh, but he talks about how you should classify a millennial as anyone who was eight or older when 9-11 happened. Right. Because that was such a significant life event that it shaped everyone yeah. who was old enough to process it. And uh, It's kind of like you remember, like, because I was in ninth grade in high school, and I remember, like... I don't know. It's it was. I like, think you're thinking of the O.J. Simpson trial. I do remember that. I do remember that. We as watched well. that. We watched it in our Catholic school cafeteria yeah. when I was in middle school. Yeah, we met. Well, anyways, we met O.J. at a movie theater before that trial started, like six months before. Really <laughs> random. Anyways, um, <laughs> fun fact for the day. No, but uh, yeah, I mean, like when you talk about nine eleven to a millennial, um, for me, I remember. It's like that. That it's you know almost like how you think of like Old Testament, New Testament. Like I remember my <laughs> life before nine eleven, and then I remember life after nine eleven, and they're very different experiences. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the other thing too with this, you know, when we talk about generations, like it's important that one of the things that drives me crazy when we talk about generations yeah. in the secular world and in the church is that we. Uh, it, it, it can be too tempting to kind of brush broad strokes, right? So, you know, well, with with uh, millennials, everyone feels entitled and everybody, you know, wants a trophy, you know. And, and some yeah. of, there's some truth to that, right? Like that's come coming yeah. from a lot of things that you do see. But there's also a lot of good traits of millennials too, yeah. right? Like baby boomers, uh, you know, they're not all fussy, <laughs> there's a lot of great baby boomers out there like i you know i love my i love my parents they were great baby boomers they are great baby boomers um but then there's also certain traits about them that you know it's yeah. like you know there there's some issues there yeah <laughs> yeah so one of the things that you that you, when we looked at there's an excellent book uh from harvard sociologist uh called bowling alone i, I forget his name it's called bowling alone and it's awesome it is an awesome book to understand gener- the three main generations today. But it was kind of framed around where are the bowling leagues? Now, my mom, I remember I was about 10 years old, and I was going through my parents' closet, and I found, we were, like, cleaning it out or whatever, and I found a 
leather bag. And I was like, what is this bag? And I opened up, and there was a bowling ball and a couple trophies. And I went to my dad, because I knew my dad had gone bowling a couple times, and I was like, hey, here's your bowling ball. And he's like, what are you talking about? This is an eight-pound ball. That's your mother's. <laughs> so I was talking to my mom. I was like, you bowled? And she goes, oh, hon, when I was, you know, when I was in my 20s, everyone bowled. And so this whole point of this, uh, this uh, book is things that build community, community social events, uh, almost don't exist anymore. And he talked about uh, bowling leagues as one of these kind of stereotypical things where if you were suburban or urban, it didn't matter – People went to their local bowling alley, and they went bowling. Yeah. And these big leagues, you know, you can think of it as uh, softball. Yeah. With, like churches used to have these softball tournaments yeah, but and all I, this I, stuff. I think that we're starting to see, like, kind of a turn back to that a little bit. Yeah, but it's not near what it was. You're not seeing it turning back. You're seeing the decline slow. Right. But it's still a decline if you look at the statistics. I mean, we hear about all these, like, meetups and, you know, yeah. all these different things, but it's getting it's, – it's still declining. So what happened? The most politically, civilly, socially active generation in the history of the United States was the greatest generation. Yeah. The people that ended up fighting in World War II, the people that were went through the Great Depression, they were the most involved. They were in – um, the Masons, the Knights of Columbus, uh, they were in uh, the Elks Club and the Moose Lodge and the, the Veterans of Foreign Wars. All of those clubs, they started you know, all massive fraternal societies. Yeah. Fraternal societies used to be about 35,000 different fraternal societies. Now there's like 500, right? So you see this great decline. Um, all of these things happened. The, the, so really, when you look at social disenga- disengagement, a lack of voting, a lack of things that um, caring about your neighbor, being a hyper-individualist, all this stuff that people blame millennials for, overwhelmingly, it's the baby boomers that set all of these things in motion. Even though the, you know, the 1960s and all that stuff when they were coming of age as, as young adults and whatnot and Woodstock and all that, that's the baby boomer generation overwhelmingly they stopped participating politically socially and civically even doing you know get the vote out all that stuff now when you're young you tend to be less engaged and more narcissistic with the world around you right so no but, matter what generation right you are. so now you're finding baby boomers who are in their 60s 70s and 80s and they have shifted and they are more civilly engaged, but even as I mean, you can't even compare it. A yeah, twenty-year-old yeah. parents were in a bunch of different clubs, right? A twenty-year-old yeah. of the greatest generation was three or four times more active civilly than a sixty-five-year-old baby boomer today, or a seventy-year-old baby boomer today. They and and they were. This is Great Depression, <laughs> World War Two. This is yeah. all of that stuff. You could imagine how much all of that stuff fueled a civic mindedness i mean when you have 11 million young boys march off to war right they're going to come home civilly minded right but their children didn't right. and their children essentially this is kind of one of the big shape life shaping things the more you go through the generations first it was the baby boomers it was like a cliff with them and then it's just a decline from Gen Xer, yeah. and then now we have today the millennial. Yeah, and so, but but again, so I think that we are seeing an increase, but with the millennials, but we're seeing it in a different way. It's not coming back in the idea of like you know like these civil clubs like you saw with um, with the older generations. I think that um, instead we feel connected in a different way, and I'm not yeah. just talking about like social media, but if you look at yeah. 
uh, how millennials are where they're living. Yep. Right. They're moving back to urban centers. They yep. want to live in cities like Austin, Nashville, uh, you know, these these type of cities that are very um, accessible, have a lot of places to hang out in the downtown area, which is interesting because there was that great exodus for so many years out to the suburbs um, that made cities like Houston so widespread. Yep. Um, and so we're seeing it in different ways. It's just not that same like civil engagement like you're talking about. Or you see it, I, I said this on like one of our first podcasts, like you see it in things like food truck parks, right? Or, uh, you know, the other new trend in, uh, is you go to a lot of cities and they have these food halls, yep. which is really a glorified um, it's basically like a glorified cafeteria or a glorified food <laughs> yeah, court you mean in a by, mall. By you but mean it's like, like long tables and yeah, everyone and like sits different with everyone booths, else. But it's like super hipster food. Yeah. 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 And so you see that like they'll t- they'll take like an old train depot and turn it into uh, into a food hall. That's kind yeah. of been the big trend you see in a lot of cities. And the idea with it is bringing people back into some sort of a communal environment. Yeah. Um, we've even, you know, we even joked at the end of our last podcast you know, about CrossFit, and we talk about that all the time. Why are younger generations, people being so drawn to these gyms at CrossFit? Well, it's because they're providing a place of community where something positive is happening. Yeah. Um, and there's a longing and a craving yeah, for that. Yeah, CrossFit is just as much social as it is about Absolutely. lifting weights and all yeah and this is so that you're talking about now we need to identify certain trends that are going on in the generations themselves so you could say that what the baby boomers began gen x continued millennials are revolting against which is the industrialization and um commercialization of everything so right. everything is now attached to efficiencies of market Right, everything is being industrialized, so food becomes fast food. Right, right. hyper efficient food, like all of these things that are that are commercialized and engineered to get you to be hyper palatable and all of this stuff, and it breaks you away from things like nature. Right. So we have food flown in all around the world because, dang it, even though it's December, I still want my watermelon. Come on, Chileans, send me your watermelons, right? right. So we have this this um, thing that was definitely a huge trend in the 50s, 60s, and 70s to hyper-industrialize America's food supply. So now you find millennials don't want that, don't want that at yeah. all, and you're witnessing a whole reaction to the negative effects of heavily processed food and right. all that stuff. So now you have the exact opposite swing, which is towards, um, what do you call it, the, the, the community farmer's market stuff, right? Yeah. You, have, you have the rise of things like, well, number one, farmer's markets and flea markets and stuff, but also partnering with local farms. You have the rise of farm-to-table, farm to table, yeah. organic everything, even to where it's yeah, so annoying. This is what I love about like these general, yeah. uh, generational things is like <laughs> there's always an article, it seems like, every week about what millennials are killing this week right so like one week it's applebee's uh i saw a bunch of articles about how millennials are killing the turkey industry for thanksgiving this year because millennials have recognized that it is not natural to eat a 30 pound bird like they don't naturally grow that way (laughs) so like they're like these grocery stores are actually selling more like 10 pound birds instead of 25 30 pound birds Yeah, I mean, you just so you start to look at that and things that were strongholds in the marketplace of consumer goods. It's now, now you have, I don't know if you've heard of the trend of slow food. You ever heard of that? No. 
So uh, slow food. Oh, uh, so slow food being the opposite of fast food. Yeah, but it, it, okay. so at first it's like, okay, so we're going to have natural food. We're going to spend time cooking it. We're going to do all that stuff. But then, then there's the millennial taking things to extremes, and it's like, we're going to chew everything 100 times in silence. And, I mean, I'm not kidding you. Okay. There are restaurants that are like this. Wow. It is hysterical. But but the idea I want to have nothing to do with those restaurants because I, I, I ain't got time for it. <laughs> but, then you have, but then you have the opposite side, which is some of the great benefits given to us by the baby boomers and the greatest generation – are now, and I and I am 100% guilty of this, being forsaken by millennials, which is things like a weekend, things yeah. like free time that yeah. you spend and invest in your family. Yeah. Millennials are marrying later. Mm-hmm. They're staying, they're, they're not getting divorced as much, probably because they're getting married later. Yeah. Um, but at the same which, time... Hey, Shout out to us for killing the divorce industry along with Applebee's. Yeah. I think that's a win-win. <laughs> Goodbye, you, Applebee's. You're welcome, world. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, Black Eyed Pea. You're coming next. Uh, <laughs> are those even open? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You are, yeah. Oh, okay. that's sad. Go but, on. <laughs> uh, but then you have um, the things where now, and it's because of the job industry. It's because of student loan debt. It's because of a lot of contributing factors. But you have... Uh, millennials who are active in the workforce yeah. are not making uh, entry-level jobs that would, let's say, uh, median household income in the 90s was about 37000 in the U.S. So you had these entry-level jobs that were putting you in about twenty five, thirty thousand, 30000 and you could work your way up in t- about two years to get about 37000 That's the median income of the United States in, like, 1998, I think. Um, today it's about 46000 yeah. right? But you having people who can't find those same entry level jobs making you know fifteen percent less than median income, they're making fifty percent less, or they're unpaid internships to get job experience and all this stuff. So you find that millennials are taking side hustles, yes. right? Doing multiple jobs. I, I don't know. I do not know one person my age that has not had a side hustle. Yeah. at some point. Yeah, including I have, myself and my wife. Yeah, I technically right now I have four. Yeah. So I have my jobby job here at St. Anthony's. Mm-hmm. I have layevangelist.com, which is my speaking engagement stuff. Yep. I have my weekly podcast, Catching Foxes, catchingfoxes.fm. And I have uh, a new podcast that I'm rolling out with Ascension Press that's going to be weekly, plus my Ascension Press series that I do. Yeah. So with all of that, that is to make enough money so that my wife can be a stay-at-home mom. Right. And which the, that that's also a foreign concept in our generation, for right? The most part yeah. right, but y- when you think about all of this stuff, it is more expensive to live now mm-hmm. than it is back then. Just comparing it with cost of in- you know inflation, all that stuff. Yeah. What is the relationship of home ownership to national median or yeah national median income? So what does that mean for our generations? What well, means that you stay at home longer? Right, right. It means that you're not as independent financially. You stay at home with your parents. Yeah, yeah. You're not you live. Yeah, out. sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, you live with your parents more. Um, you have all of these kind of trends where the older generation kind of mocks us for it, but at the same time, a, we're it, it, we're a product it, of our environment. Yeah, yeah. Following the Great Recession, a lot of people think this is excuse. These aren't excuses. This is people adapting to the economic reality. Right. Right. If you walk out of a state college with ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars in student loans. And your job is paying you fifteen thousand dollars a year. 
you can't live in an apartment. Right. Right? So you have all this stuff. So you're finding, like, these really interesting responses of, uh, of, of just it, – it's part of the market, right? It's like I can't get an apartment by myself, so I'm going to stay at home. So that creates a whole bunch of other, you know, delayed childhood, <laughs> delayed, yeah, yeah. delayed adulthood, uh, you know, perpetual adolescence, a whole host of social behaviors that are just terrible. Well, yeah, and there's definitely that, that side of it, too, like – um, for as many great things as we've done, like killing Applebee's and uh, <laughs> what was the other one I saw recently? Oh, fabric softener. Millennials are killing fabric softener. <laughs> Why? Because we don't see a point in it. No one ever taught us, and so we're killing fabric <laughs> softener. Uh, <laughs> all these pointless things that we don't have extra money to spend on. Yeah. Um, I, we, we prefer close starchy, I guess. But the idea, <laughs> all these things that we've killed off, like there's also, there's also some negative traits, though, that have come along with millennials, right? Like kind of what you're talking about that um that avoidance of or carrying adolescence further into adulthood right and that's why you're seeing horribly delayed adult yeah there, there's even predictions that this generation will be the first generation to not outlive their parents in terms of years like mm-hmm. age right because they're so hard on their bodies they're either working too hard uh or not working too hard but w- working an excessive amount of hours um alcoholism is on is hugely on the rise with this generation yeah um so there's a lot of there's also a lot of negative effects so here's what i want to get to though because we know we can all open up time magazine or anything and and read all this stuff about generations yeah what does this mean for the church okay now i'm glad you asked that so baby boomers are more concerned with staying the course right if you're a hippie baby boomer you are terrified of young people who are traditionalists because you find uh, I, I I can't tell you how many times I have baby boomer people Catholics walk up to me and say oh you couldn't believe what the church used to be like everything was in Latin no one understood anything women were wearing veils on their heads yeah and uh and what was, oh and the priest had their back to you mumbling the whole time I have had literally in the past month people say that to me all Which the time. Which is funny because there's a lot of millennials that would be like, that sounds great. I know. So that's the thing that people don't realize. <laughs> that's the thing that people don't realize. Across the board, yeah. whether you're talking about Catholicism, mm-hmm. Reformed Calvinist Christianity, Lutheranism, yeah. there is a massive rejection yeah. of 60s Christianity. Yeah, we, 70s millennials Christianity. didn't create the folk mass. no. We did not create so, the folk mass. So you could, you could almost split millennials in half of yeah. those who are devout, those who really love charismatic or um, contemporary expressions of faith. They despise hippie folk masses and all that stuff, but they love things like praise and worship, um, that type of music. And you have the traditionalists who want things in Latin. So wow. when I have people well, and say... and I think there's a lot of crossover though in those too. Like, oh, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you're looking at one. Yeah, I was just like, you're looking at one too. I, I we, we're oh, the same person. I love you. No, we're not. I know. Uh, not even close. <laughs> Better not start either. eating. But <laughs> uh, None of that slow food. <laughs> I'm more worried about the beard growth. That's, that's my problem. Speaking of adolescence carrying into adulthood, <laughs> look like a 12-year-old. Anyways, uh, so... Yeah, no, but I mean, I think both of us, and maybe that's because of where we went to college, but like, I, I love contemporary praise and worship. Yep. I love it. I, I can go to the 6 p.m. mass here at St. Anthony's and get a ton out of that. At the same time, though, I can go to a Latin mass and feel yep. completely spiritually filled um, in a, I, I guess I would say a different way, but like still feeling just as fulfilled, I guess, you yep. know, when I walk away from it. And that's something that a lot of baby boomers 
cannot grasp. And I think it's the funniest thing. Like it is so funny. You, we've I've been in a room where you'll have baby boomers, you'll have Gen Xers, and you'll have millennials talking about church topic or what should we do next. And nine times out of ten, it's the baby boomers are like, we need to con- you know be contemporary and move with the times. And sorry, <laughs> I just impersonated <laughs> like half our congregation. And and then you then nailed Jerry Treziak on that. Uh, one. <laughs> Sorry, Spot Jerry. on impression. Uh, yeah, no, so but but then you have the the younger generation that's like, hey, I really enjoy silence, right? <laughs> like you think about like Steubenville Youth Conferences are a great yep. example of this. When we were in high school, there was not an ounce of downtime at those nope. conferences, and now go, go, go. they have specifically introduced silence into mm-hmm. the conference, and it's a twofold reason. One, because this generation never feels like they're unplugged, and so yep. they're never able to hear God yep. in the silence, and so that's really important. But there's also like a craving for it, yeah, yeah. So uh, and an understanding I'm, of the importance of it, yeah. So like in the Reformed Church movement, like I was saying earlier, uh, I do a lot of research on them because a lot of our people in inclusion and. RCIA kind of come from that background, but there is, they're called young, restless, and reformed. That is their thing because they're sick and tired of terrible theology. They're sick and tired of uh, emotional music and, you know, let's return to the old hymns. Let's return. Of course, old hymns is 100, 150 years old to 500. But um, for us as Catholics, millennial Catholics, there is this experience of, uh, so when, when people will say to me, like, you have no idea what it was like in the Latin Mass. I respond to them. I've been attending the Latin Mass since I was in high school. Yeah, on too, my own. My parents me. hated it. Yeah, and I would go. I would drive to North Tulsa every Sunday and go to the Latin Mass. We had a contemporary church. We had a traditional Novus Ordo church, and I would drive all the way up to not not all the time. I love my other churches that were in my hometown, but I would do that because I felt like the Latin Mass. I I, I was taught. I was taught it. I was taught how to use a missile. Yeah. I understood what was happening. So these people tell me all the time, oh, you don't know what it was like. And I, and I say to them, actually, you don't know what it was like because you were eight. And right. when I was eight, I hated everything. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I mean, church. even for like, because I, I went to summer camp in middle school and we had Latin mass every day and I loved it. Yeah. But the other thing that I think you, people don't realize is you're talking about, when you talk about millennials and why would they like the Latin mass, why would they want to hear mass in a different language? We were talking about a generation that is extremely bilingual and extremely traveled, right? You know, most of – I don't know hardly anyone, you know, my age in college that didn't study abroad in a foreign country. Yeah. You know – doesn't matter what your political Thanks, baby boomers and is. Gen Xers for paying for that for yeah. us, by the way. <laughs> well, we're paying for it, too, with our uh, student loans. But, but, I mean, you really, like, foreign languages don't scare, they don't intimidate millennials yeah. like they do, they did, I think, generations before. So, yeah. for me, sometimes, in we're fact... We're just exposed. The, Internet, travel, whatever. That's right. Yeah. It, that's right. And uh, Immigration. Im- immigration. Urban, urbanization of millennials. Right. Absolutely. So, there. I mean, I will be honest, there's been times where I've gone to mass, like to a Spanish mass, just because I don't want all the extra, but I want to know, like, I know what the prayers are, so I feel like I'm following along, yep. but it, it, I can, I feel like I'm almost more focused yeah. in that mass because I don't have to worry about, like, if somebody kind of mistakes a quick prayer, well, because I don't really completely understand it anyways, <laughs> but I know, like, what's happening yeah. at the consecration and that sort of thing. So, yeah, even if you don't speak Spanish, I encourage you to go to the Spanish mass every so often because it's a part of our church, right? Like it is. it is our community. I go about every six weeks. I take, I took my daughters the last time I went, they thought we, they were in a magical wonderland. They were like, <laughs> Oh my, what is this? <laughs> she was six at the time. But, uh, so uh, one of the things about 
spiritual life of millennials versus baby boomers and Gen Xers, the other thing that the data bears out, millennials are terrible at commitment. Yeah. This is something that you find our best volunteers. It's not just because they're empty nesters. Uh, Many of them are still working, still busy, you know, got kids or grandkids in their lives, but are consistently baby boomers um, and Gen Xers more than millennials because of this level of making a commitment and local investment. Millennials like investing locally when it comes to craft beer, farm to table, (laughs) you know, and all that stuff, artisanal stuff. But the big thing, millennials, this is what some of the study data bore out. Why it, why we feel like millennials are kicking against this hyper-individualism by community? Outside of our consumer choices, food truck parks, uh, what do you call it, the hall dining type things. The food halls, yeah. Food halls. Um, all of those things are great, but that's like consumer good type stuff. Right. That's not daily reality. Yes. So yeah. this is the, the insight that I think people... When you're consuming a good, like a food hall, eating your food at a place where there's a million people at big, long tables and stuff like that, um, it's all on your terms, and you get to leave whenever you want, and you get to not go if your friends are going to go there. It's not still – it's not investing in community. It's not being rooted, and millennials are the worst at being rooted. It's why millennials aren't buying houses. Yeah. They're killing the housing market right now. So you were talking about Applebee's killers. The reason why I started doing all this research – was I had done a presentation for parents. I'm, I'm about to do it for St. Anthony's School. I had done a presentation called Deep Parenting in a Digital World. And this guy came up to me and said, hey, I work for this, insert, famous national home builder, uh, multi-billion dollar company. And he said, I run the Houston branch. I need you to teach my sales team how to sell to millennials. And I need you to teach my marketing team how to market to millennials. And... I came back to him by saying, he says, because we are terrible. We can't sell houses to these these people. What do we need to do? And I was like, uh, don't build houses. Go back to the city. Yeah. Build affordable housing there. Like, But right. that's not their model. Their model is built on the baby boomer and, and well, greatest generation, white flight out of urban cities into yeah. the suburbs where you have just enough rural but be close to city life. Yeah. That's the promise that of was, the suburbs. That, that was the hardest thing for, for me kind of adjusting when we moved back to Houston from Atlanta because when we were in Atlanta, we kind of lived – closer into the city and we had access yeah. to everything the city. Yeah. if we were going to the park we were going to piedmont park you know that kind of thing and which is right in the middle of downtown oh yeah piedmont park that's my favorite well park. i mean people that, are, that have been to atlanta know but like you know it, it was like um moving here which i love it here but like it's like oh my gosh i have to drive like 45 minutes just to get to a, an astros game like whereas before i lived two miles from the brave stadium you know so that that is a reality i think that um that there is kind of this Millennials are breaking everything right now in terms of how we do things as a society. And some of it's good and some of it's bad. Um, I don't know if it's bad. It's just different, right? Yeah. Um, And that's the hard part, discerning how cultural movements will affect the church. Because the church is made up of people who have a conserving conserving viewpoint right these are the truths that we hold these are the ways that we do things that don't change sometimes that gets applied to the wrong things but if millennials are constantly having this need for new and novelty everyone does especially when you're young but 
it's it's built up because that's our hyper commercialized culture. Right. New and improved. Well, how is it new and improved? If it's new, it can't be improved, right? New and improved everything, <laughs> right? But that we were fed a diet of that our whole lives. Why would the church be any different? But all of a sudden, we look at the church and what happened in the 1960s or the 1970s or the 1940s, depending on your parish, is just frozen in time. Yeah. And so the the world has shifted. So I so I did. I was invited to a uh, an evangelist mastermind, right? I don't, ever, I don't know what that. You means. know what a mastermind is? Yeah. Get a bunch of people in a certain area. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we had one for a Catholic evangelization. Uh huh. Why wasn't I invited? Oh, so many reasons. Okay. We were. Uh, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no, but Go these on. were people across the board: lay people, yeah. clergy, missionary, full time missionaries, campus, you know, focus all that stuff, and then me, rep- me, and two other people representing parish evangelization. And he, the guy that ran it, Dave Van Vickle, had me present on the future of the church. So everyone had to do five-minute past, present, future. And I said, here's the deal. In 20 years, uh, we will peak at the greatest influx of people into the cities since industrialization in the yep. 1800s. Yep. Okay, so right now, it's about 78, uh, 78 to 85% of, the, of a country's population are in urban environments. That's going to go to 95%. So with that, I said this. I said, okay, so right now we've spent the last uh, 70 years in the church, since the 1950s, building suburban churches. Yeah. Huge mega parishes like our own, regional parishes, not neighborhood churches. And now the population centers are going to leave suburbia and go back to the city. Is the Catholic Church going to build hundreds of new churches in the cities? Like we like we did a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. So we are selling those churches now, yeah. like crazy. Yeah, those were the neighborhood block churches, the yeah. local church. Now we're in regional suburban churches, and now the population is going to swing the other way. And 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 just in case people are like offended by all this stuff, this is coming from this was foreseen by Archbishop Fulton Sheen yeah. when he criticized suburban churches. He called it the suburban captivity of the church, equating it to the Babylonian captivity, because he saw such a danger in a whole culture going suburban because it's, it's almost like a gated community for the nation. Well, and like here at St. Anthony's, what's going to be interesting is that um, while we are that right now, the way Houston's growing, we won't be that. We won't really be a suburb. Uh, no, we are rapidly becoming yeah, our Yeah, I mean, Montgomery city. County is projected to have a million residents within the next 20 years. And we, we right now, have, Conroe is the fastest-growing city in the, in, in in the, the U.S. In the yeah, US. we have 500,000 people in Montgomery County right now, and that's going to double in the next 20 years. Wild. Wild. And there's not going to be that many more Catholic churches built out here, I don't right. think. Right. And so just think about that. Let those, let those numbers roll over you. How can the church respond Influx of new immigrants, influx of people from all over the country, yeah. all of that stuff. So then you look at the future. It's, it's overwhelming. Ca- I'm overwhelmed right now thinking about it. Right. So how does the church respond? Parish becomes the place of the sacraments. Parish becomes the place of catechesis and missionary formation. But the homes have and, and other para- parish organizations yeah. like bishop baron's word on fire yeah, the they lay would, led organizations yeah that w- w- whether it's lay or movement or nonprofits, yeah, whatever those are going to become the touchstones in the cities yep the, they are they are the adore ministries the the life teams yeah. the focus the and here's the fun thing yeah. about them there is so much less canon law stuff 
that applies to them compared right. to the parish. That's right. So they have the mobility to respond rapidly to a rapidly changing situation. Right. So those that want all the lay leadership in the church, that's where you're going to start to see it. We're already seeing it. I mean, those are the most successful ministries in the church. And so, St. Anthony's, this is great for you. When, you've, when you brought all those donations last year for Hurricane Harvey, Stephen reached out uh, to me and to the Adore people and all this stuff because I immediately hooked up with them. We were taking so much of our supplies down to them because they had access to neighborhoods that FEMA wasn't even going into. Yeah, they were de- they were poor to begin with. Uh, they were devastating. And they poor. were decimated by Harvey. And the reason why we were able to serve them is because of those Adore missionaries. The line was, we were here before Harvey. We'll be here after Harvey. That's right. And the community knew that. Now, the cool thing about this is when we step back, we have to admit, whether you're a Gen X or baby boomer or millennial. That <laughs> Gen Xers who we've completely forgotten. Yeah, just That's like culture. stereotypical. Hey, we, <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny about Gen Xers? The actual title X yeah. means nothing. Like, that's, that's what sociologists yeah. assigned to that generation. They were going to be the first generation to make less than their parents, to live, uh, you know, all the, all the bad stuff. They were going to be decrease in, the fir- in U.S. history. And so what ended up happening was they just gave them the generation nothing. Yeah. That's what they are. They turned out to be all right, though. Oh, no, they are. They're the Cheryl, Codre- Cheryl Crow generation. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. <laughs> um, just think about this. America in the 50s and 60s and before defined itself by the physical goods they manufactured. Right. Think about the even in the 80s, the great automobile race with Japan mm-hmm. and all of that stuff and how U.S. was pumping out these big cars and they were pumping out these lightweight cars and the oil crisis, all these things. Um, when you look at our society now, we are a liquid society. Right? What does that mean? Well, we used to favor physical goods that you manufactured. The U.S. does not do that in any way, shape, or form compared no. to what it did. Yeah. Now we favor software that we develop. Yep. And the thing the about cloud. it is um, Sigmund Bauman, he's a sociologist from a country in Europe. He's <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot. Sounds good. From. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> That's accurate. Um, he talks about how we used to be pilgrims in search of a destination, but now we've become tourists going from one thing to the next. Yep. In search of experiences. Absolutely. And that phrase characterizes millennials, I think, more than anything else. But it also works its way up the chain to Gen Xers and baby boomers to the point where, right, we are no longer an adult-shaped culture. We are a youth culture that shapes the adult world. Yes. So you find that the more adults are running from their mortality, which you can listen to our death funerals and four last (laughs) things episode, the more we run from our death and getting older, the more we gravitate towards youth culture, right? And And so you become more secularized. Yeah. And become more secularized, the whole deal. But the problem is with that comes the host of evils associated with being rootless, with being disconnected, even though we've, we've replaced human interaction with, uh, cell phones, right? And the sociologist that did that bowling alone, he says, if you had a pre-existing physical connection with people, a community, a group, a bridge club, whatever it is, and then you made it online as well, those groups got stronger. Those yes. bonds got stronger. Yep. But if that group started online... Which is why we focus so much attention on our parish Facebook account. Yeah. Not, you know, you can yeah. look at that and be like a silly thing, but we have seen an increase in attendance since we've really started focusing on that for our parishioners because they know 
what events are ha- happening, you know, on a more yeah. frequent basis, even more so than the bulletin. Yeah. And so you have that, right? But if it only, if the relationship only existed on, in, in the internet world, it's so easy to disconnect it, disconnect from it. Right, I just don't reply to the text message. I just don't reply to the Facebook message or whatever it is. I don't DM them on Twitter. Right, so the problem with that is you actually have a decrease in people's experience of community. So people can just go like a little butterfly from flower to flower to flower, instead of putting down roots like the flower. Church marketing has increased, but community necessarily hasn't. Right, and that's very, very dangerous. So my remedy for everything is community. Get with people. Start opening your homes. Absolutely. Don't don't wait on the church to start a Bible study. Yeah. We can point you in the direction. Just start one in your living room. Yeah. Gather a group of five people and have dinner once a week and do it. Yeah, and make a commitment to it. Yeah. Say, you know, outside of big events, that just like your job, we need to make commitments to other people. So I want to end with this little story, and then you can, you can close this out. Um, someone offered me a job at a different place, uh, called me up uh, on my cell phone. You're not leaving, are no, you? No, no. Okay, tur- this is me turning down the job. Okay, perfect. Two years in St. Anthony's here as a Dolphe Formation, this guy called me up and said, we want you to be the director of evangelization for this large urban diocese, right? And I immediately turned him down. And they said, why? And I said, number one, you can't pay me enough. Typical of a chancery. Go <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your diocese, nice. <laughs> I live in the South or a church that values uh, employees. Um, but I said, and number two, uh, and I think I might have shared this before, my wife has a friend who comes over, parks her stroller, our friend Angie, parks her stroller in the yeah. garage, makes herself a cup of coffee, sends her kids upstairs to play with mine, It doesn't knock on the door, right? She just goes and does it. And yeah. I said, having that, I said, what do, what do I owe Angie? What do I owe her for doing that for and with my wife. What do I owe the fact that Deacon Baldi's is owned by Angie's husband, or not owned by, but uh, general manager by, you know, and my <laughs> it's named after a deacon that I worked with and he was my core member, right? I have history. I have roots. Mm-hmm. And I owe my community those, something. I was going to say, and those roots are based in this community. Yeah, it's I one owe of, it, this community It's one of the something. reasons why I moved, why we moved back here. My, well, my, I say back here. My wife's never lived here before, but she came to realize over the years getting to know me because I would make a trip, you know, a few times a year to come back here and visit people. She's like, man, th- there's something about the community in the Woodlands and at St. Anthony's. And if you people. can get connected to it. But here's the deal. That's if right. you don't, you had a line in because you were a youth minister. You yes, made a great yes. group of friends. That's true. Who were all your age. And now they're all at roughly all of them are at your life circumstance. So yep. they're married with little kids and all that stuff. Uh, it is so hard to break into it yeah. for certain people. If you're a devout Roman Catholic and you move to this community and your just work or whatever has pulled you away from being able to volunteer yeah. or go on a retreat, it's hard to break into that community. So we have to not be stagnant in how yeah. we help other people to belong yeah. here at our parish. And that goes down to truly getting to know them if they're sitting in the pew and you've never seen yeah. them before. Yeah, um, Paige Ingersoll said, who's our youth minister, one of our youth ministers, said one of the best things that she ever did was she did a Bible study from Ascension Press. She did a Bible study from them online with two other women who were older women than her. They would go over to their house, have a glass of wine, watch the videos, and discuss. Yep. That is being rooted. 
That is one of you sharing your life together, intergenerational, all different. You know, Paige isn't married, doesn't have little kids. You know, these women, you know, I, I can't remember all the women that were involved, but, you know, I think some of them are empty nesters and all that stuff. That is what I'm talking about. Millennials need to invest and baby boomers and stuff. Gen Xers, go out of your way to invite people over yep. to your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, It'll improve your children's life as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. We have talked a long time about we have. all this. We uh, have. And we focused a lot on millennials, which is typical because we like to talk about ourselves. Because we're millennials, we're narcissists millennials. with low self-esteem. Whatever. <laughs> no, I think the world of myself. Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> oh, I guess it's just me. We, Maybe I should go to CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Uh, no, so, yeah, so the, the thing is... Uh, Steven, that t-shirt can barely contain your CrossFit oh muscles. Oh, my gosh, you better <laughs> edit that out. Um, nope. We have we have a lot of incredible people at our parish yeah. that come from these different generations. I, I think our staff here, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dote on our staff. We are uh, very evenly split on where yeah. people would categorize themselves, yeah. which makes all for three generations are very well represented. And yeah. it makes for a beautiful mess sometimes yeah. uh, in terms of a healthy, a healthy uh, conversations. I think sometimes as we push the parish forward and kind of constantly having that check and balance, right? Like as a millennial, I'd love to just get rid of the bulletin, right? It would save my team a lot of <laughs> we time. We are going beyond the bulletin. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, you know, it's good to have the check and the yeah. reality. So instead, we put a little millennial twist on the bulletin to make it more appealing to every generation, yeah. that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot to be said. We've got the generations represented here. I'm just really happy to know that Applebee's is going to be gone in the next five years <laughs> and that I don't have to worry about fabric softener because I didn't, I've never understood the point of fabric softener. It does nothing. It does nothing. I said it. There wow. You go. I do remember an episode <laughs> of The Office where Jim bought fabric softener and Pam's like, wow, fabric softener. He's like, who doesn't like soft shirts? Yeah. But see, that's the thing. I don't even know what it means. I don't know what's, we don't own fabric softener. Well, it's because the shirts are so soft now. So soft. They're so soft. That cotton poly blend really does something. I'm telling you, man. (laughs) It's the best. All righty. God love you. (laughs) I hope your Thanksgivings went well. (laughs) 